our currency is ideas and stories and um, and a variety of those. And we can't come up with all of those within the team. The team is Doc and one team of five full-time staff. So we invite ideas from everybody. Um, and what we're interested in, in is the idea. So we don't care about experience or age or anything like that. Um, and so once we feel an idea has um, potential for us, we have an ideas meeting about once every two months, give or take. Um, we get about 600 pitches, five to 600 pitches per annum. And then we whittle down what we, as a team, very democratically, for all five of us have equal say. And if you get three yeses, it's up and running and two, two yeses or less and it's, it falls off. Um, but anyway, so w- let's say the idea has been agreed that we'll take it on. Then one of the five of us, one of the teams assigned to whomever's pitched in um, as their mentor, co-producer, call it whatever you want. I mean, from our point of view, it's a commitment to the idea and a commitment to ensuring that, you know, for, on a week-to-week basis that we have a kind of a standard that we maintain. And so irrespective of who comes through the door, um, you know, if they've been able to record, if they've made a hundred docs or no docs or come from film or TV or, or nothing, you know, if they no association with media, that there's a kind of consistency of product, I guess. So, um, uh, you know, in real terms, that means on day one, you'll come in and we sit down with you and we'll, you know, try and map out the idea in terms of story. And if you haven't recorded before, we might go out recording with you the first day. Um, and then we tic-tac along the process, however long that takes. And then we get to a point where, you know, we would train you up on how to edit down even the bare essentials. So if you could edit down, say, we would average 20 to 40 hours tape recording for a 40-minute uh, documentary. So um, we would ask you to maybe, if you could, you know, edit down to the best two hours or, you know, again, we'd help with that process. And then it's at that point you really get into stuck into the actual story construction of how, it ends. Obviously, you've been planning to a certain extent or following action or, you know, unfolding the story all along. Um, and then that might go on for a couple of weeks. And then you're into studio with an engineer for a two day polish on the sound and put down the narrative. And, and then it goes out to air. And then we move on to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> and like when you're dealing with the people, the first time documentary makers, what are kind of the common like mistakes or misuses of time you see over and over again? Well, the the first thing to say is that it is fantastic to be dealing with first-time doc makers because more often than not, um, they come really willing to learn and eager to learn and open to suggestion. And sometimes, um, you know, people with lots of experience um, feel they... Well, some might feel they know it all, but other times they have a very... Um, you know, entrenched in a concept of how this should sound in their head before they even start, you know. And in many ways, that removes all the excitement, both as a maker and as a listener, because you want things to unfold, you know, for both for yourself and um, for, for, for the listener. So it's a lot more engaging if you follow things as they happen rather than, you know, uh, following things as per your plan that you would put down on paper two months before you even started recording. But in terms of the common mistakes, technical, you know, simple enough, um, forgetting to turn the machine on, um, like very basic things. Um, <laughs> uh, right up to another big one for, for us in terms of docs uh, is that 
you know, when we're recording scenes and we're recording action or following someone else's story, it's all about their story. And so, you know, it's something that we've um, learned through error ourselves over the years is that just stay out of the picture. And it's not so much to stay out of the picture um, because you're not part of the picture. It's that when the listener, the end product, when the listener is listening and you have someone, for instance, saying, "Mm mm-hmm, aha, yeah, no, or for instance, if it's a very emotional um, scene or story and somebody's crying and then the doc maker saying it's okay or patting them on the knee or vocalizing or empathizing with them, you're actually interfering with the end product relationship, which is between that character and the listener. And if this other person is jutting in and out, I mean, if you were to imagine it in a TV screen, it's you see these you know set of images in a tv screen then you see this head popping in and out every so it's really you know so just that's another biggie stay quiet ask your questions sit back wait for your responses don't interrupt tape is cheap you know so it's not like television where obviously budgets are much higher and more constrained or whatever but so we can afford to sit back and allow things unfold to a certain extent anyway and then when you're in that kind of um, uh, ideas meeting, you know what is the kind of selection criteria in your head? What makes a good story? Might be a better question. Well, I suppose it's it's whether it it excites any of us, you know. And um, we all have different ways. Like the, the 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 team is three lads and two women at the moment, um, and so we all look at different. For instance, I might like a sports story. Ronan or Tim, Ronan Kelly, Tim Desmond, they might feel differently about it. Sarah, Blake, Nicolene Greer, the two ladies, they might have a differing opinion again. But, I mean, I suppose sometimes there are obviously good stories. So they are stories that, one, haven't been told before, two, have some quirky, outstanding feature. Um, and I personally love seeing stories come in that have a mix of past, present and future. Because past gives you context, presence gives you action, future gives you kind of pondering, wondering, you know, and they're the ingredients that allow a story to remain in somebody's head, really, you know. Um, scenes are a big thing that we always uh, look for in terms of the potential. So somebody pitching in an idea mightn't have even thought that actually we need to be out and about because so much of radio is static. It's in studios. Um, we are in the, I guess, the luxurious position where we can follow the story wherever it is rather than it coming to us in the studio. So we want to be on the edge of a cliff or the top of a mountain or the back of a boat or running around, you know, after somebody in a race or whatever it is. Um, and, of course, scene is picture and picture is memory. And then it's about imprinting memories and engaging your listener, you know. So... Everybody in the team, what's everyone's role? So, well, I'd like to think that we're all equal, is the first thing. Yeah. Um, and our roles are all the same. I mean, um, like in, t- in terms of the day to day aspects, like one of us, say, has to have a handle on all our recording equipment. So, you know, we've numerous recording kits that come in and out to people. So, we're uploading and offloading audio and stuff like that. I would do a lot of the overall admin work in terms of scheduling and um, just keeping an eye on the online stuff. But I mean, in, in, invariably, we all kind of do the same thing, which is produce audio. Um, like if you, for instance, if Ronan is, is signed to somebody, the it's between Ronan and that person really to bring the doc to air. Like we're all there to help. 
Um, and we're all really, I mean, Dock and One content is only, we're only as strong as our weakest link, you know. So we really much, very much rely on each other. So we'll say if Tim was making a dock with somebody and he's mid or getting near, to, you know, towards the end of pulling a draft together, say a 100-minute draft, well, that's passed amongst the team. We all listen. Um, we all give feedback. And, yeah, and then he can go forward from there. So, I mean, that's critical because sometimes you just get so close to a story. It might be a story you've been following for a year or you might have very, um, you know, personal views in it. And so a lot of the stuff is you miss basic information. You know, you get Jimmy and Johnny mixed up or... And that's, you know, for listeners, that's critical because if, if we're getting confused, um, well, then listeners will for sure get confused, you know. So in terms of the feedback, we generally speaking, you get four um, uh, feedbacks, uh, you know, notes, say, from each of the other four members of the team. And if, if there are correlations like in two f- or more feedbacks, then you know you have a problem. Like obviously there's room for personal and professional uh, differences. But if two people are saying, I thought I was in Cork and I was in Dublin, or I thought this or whatever, then you, you know you've uh, you got to address that, you know. So ultimately, uh, you know, anything in the creative arts is subjective. And um, so it's down to each individual at the end of the day. But the feedback is so hugely helpful for us. Like, uh, Are you guys a, a remote team? Or? Yeah, I mean, the I would say 90% of our work takes place away from the office um i live down the country in west waterford a couple of dublin based a couple more outside of dublin um but invariably if we're working we're either out recording with somebody somewhere or the flip side of 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 the actual recording is that the editing is very solitary you need to be almost on your own. <clears throat> you need to be slogging through it. Like if we 40 hours recording, I mean, that might have been an amazing um, two weeks in, in uh, you know, America or Europe or Kerry or Donegal or Dublin, wherever it is. But you got to then listen back to all that 40 hours. you got to log it. You know, some of us log it almost word for word. What, what do you mean by log? Physically type out what you have in or your transcribe audio. It. Transcribe it, yeah. I was going to um, ask you, what? What's the value in doing that? Well, one is you really get to know your content. So you, it's obviously you cannot remember what was said two weeks ago, three weeks ago, a month ago, six months ago. Equally, if you have, you know, any, you know, if you have anything more than a couple of hours, you just lose track altogether of of of, um, of what you have. And the other thing that's always um, surprising to me, anyway, at least and still is, is that you go out and you're recording and you might be recording for a day and on the day that you're recording you think oh, that's a really good bit, that's a really poor bit, that hour actually nothing happened but a week later when you're in a, you know, a different environment, your home studio and work or whatever and you listen, you listen very differently and of course you're listening there as the listener will eventually be listening. And what you thought might have been very poor audio, actually there was lots of good stuff in there. Um, so it's about why you transcribe is really to understand um, and ensure that you have all the parts of the story recorded also. you know. So like some of us would be more diligent on paper than others. I tend to edit by ear and so we'll say we use Pro Tools. I would be editing everything up and 
um, dividing it into chapters as, as per the question asked or the response given or the location or whatever. Um, and I prefer to edit as per how it sounds, but other members of the team prefer to have it down on paper. And so that's really advantageous too. If you're in studio and say somebody's saying to you, well, look, we, we never actually, you never took us into the space. So we arrived in, in Mary's house, but you didn't take us into the house. Do you have that? Do you, did you record going in the door? I did. Where is it? Okay, I look up my thing. It's, you know, file number, whatever, two minutes in, blah, blah, blah. And so it can be really you useful. You get the knock on the door then. Or exactly, whatever you're looking for, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, so what's, what, are there any kind of tools that you guys use to enable you to work remotely, uh, whether that be online or? Yeah, I mean, should, I mean, the world is so small now. Like, I mean, we, we send our audio back and forth. We use normal file transfer sites like we transfer and uh soundcloud sometimes a private um account um yeah i mean that's it really we talk a lot on the phone um i mean it's important for us to meet up together as a group because we, when we do a lot of the talking remotely we're talking individual to individual you know whereas and you need that for feedback but then obviously when we're looking at bigger picture stuff about ideas we take on about um, various things, training or, you know, the wider stuff that Doc and One does, we, we get together as a, as a group. Like. And then when you're, like, out on the field with, uh, with an interview subject, like, uh, wh- what are you looking for from that subject? Like, um, like how do you think about designing questions and uh, uh, trying to get the most out of your interactions with those people? Um, it's kind of hard to answer that, I suppose, in some ways, because you know we're we're at it quite a while but um i suppose before i'd ever go out to any interview i would there'd only be two or three key things that i'd be looking to bring back um and the other thing is more often than not the types of stories we engage in and that people pitch into us um well one if 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 it's something we're recording ourselves and we've come up with the idea quite often people have been waiting a lifetime or a number of years or a period of time to tell the story so they just tell it all you know and and other times then um they might be not reluctant tellers but perhaps not the most articulate or they just have a certain way of telling stories where they skip on and skip on you know um and so we might you might find yourself in an interview asking the same question six times eight times and you might get different parts of the answer and then be able to piece them all together um, and that's not to manipulate it or to trick the listener it's just to give a more rounded uh, in, informative view of the story or the character or whatever it is um, but I mean more often than not you want to be an observer and witness what's going on a lot of the times at least in scenes um, and so you know in, in many ways you almost want to be invisible you know and Radio can do that a lot more than television. So sometimes you can get great scenes. Other times you really need to drive the scene. Um, so you need to almost orchestrate it, you know, to a certain extent where um, you might say to somebody, if, for instance, we were doing a, uh, if, if we were doing a documentary in a fishing tragedy, we might suggest to the family or to the rescuer or to whomever we were talking about or with that would, would they go to the scene of the accident? So that might be two or three hour, uh, miles offshore. We go out in the boat. They may never have been there since the, the incident took place. And so that's what I mean by orchestrating. A, you know, So we would set that scene up, so to speak. 
but um and you know doing that taking people back to the scene of the crime or the scene of whatever it has happened um people just speak visually without even knowing they do you know because it just takes them back to that moment where all of these things happen so we do a lot of things like that um ultimately everything is about ensuring that we can tell the story in the best way that we can and sometimes you might do that and that would never make it to air you know for whatever reason you mightn't get there with bad weather or you know you get there and actually it's way too emotional you, you know there's lots of things can happen like but um you seem to have a really good kind of, well um good sense of, of a story you know it seems to really kind of uh permeate kind of everything you're you've been talking about i just like where did that come from for you well um in terms of the the current uh, dark and one team makeup i mean we all come at things from uh, different angles different educational backgrounds different life experiences different ages um but i guess in terms of story like firstly irish people are, are great at telling stories um we do it all the time i mean obviously every person in the world does it you know but we seem to have a knack at it like so so that for us in terms of the people we interview that's great some people are natural storytellers but in terms of the overall arc and how you engage listeners i mean i'd say about eight or nine years ago our editor laurel harris who was the person who set up the documentary one initially back in the late 80s i think and um but she brought over uh, the he- the then head of uh, norwegian radio documentaries from nrk the broadcaster over there a lady called barrett hederman and barrett had was i guess you know maybe 30 40 years making radio docs at that time and the scandinavians were really strong um as they still are at radio documentary um and everything was about story so we were hearing all of these things for the first time you know that about narration about layering about simple things start middle and end um you know you go through your your average fairy tale your average children's fable like what is it that happens you know there's a setup there's a climax there's a tension there's a good guy there's a bad guy you know all of these things but actually when you peel back the layers and find out what is it that makes goldilocks tick as a story that's when you get to the the art of story and then um like we've done lots of training over the years and we've engaged we would meet up on a european level with radio documentary makers from all around europe and beyond states and australia whatever um, and so you get to hear their work then you hear what works and so i guess over the years um we've just yeah been educated to story and uh, can you look back into uh, documentaries you might have done, say, before that particular point in time? And is, is there a clear kind of uh, uh, AD and BC in terms of your own... Um, Personally, yeah, there would be, yeah. I mean, in terms of, like you asked earlier about um, first-time makers, a big hesitancy amongst uh, first-time doc makers is they don't want to narrate. Um, and I never narrated anything uh, for a long time myself or if i was working on someone's doc there wouldn't be narration in it it was just something we didn't do and i mean there's lots of people have different views and narration one it can be overly narrated obviously two it can be interfering um or three it can be lazy because you can narrate your way out of anything you know 
Um, so if you don't have it recorded in tape, you can just say I did X, Y, and Z and whatever. Um, but actually, as a as a tool for storytelling, it's it's a vital part for the most part. Um, and so you, you either have narration within the story itself, in terms of recorded out in the field, or you it can be narrated and afterwards. But in anything, I mean, what is the nine o'clock news every night? It's a narrated story that we're told. What is anything we watch? There's narration. There's a narrative to anything, you know. Um, even a class, you know, the teacher is the narrator of the educational, whatever. So it's just it's 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 a tool, yeah. So um, obviously, personally, the, the the more sparing narration is. Uh, the more kind of attention um, or power or importance you give to it. So I, on a personal basis, would prefer more narration. I want to hear the, the characters and the people. But sometimes, or more often than not, our narrators are people who've pitched in the idea, who are part of the idea. So it's it's horses for courses, you know. I, I noticed that a couple of... Um couple of the recent uh, docs I've listened to, uh, you use a professional a voiceover uh, artist or um, to, to, to narrate the story. I just wonder what drives the choice there, uh, whether or not to use a... Sometimes it can be simple as somebody who's narrating or who's, doc- who's making the documentary, they just do not want to speak. They're, they're, for whatever reason, they don't want to narrate it. Other times, as a team or as an individual, you know, the producer or I might feel that actually the person who's making the doc has got brilliant audio but doesn't quite have the right voice to deliver uh, an engaging narrative into the program. Other times we might try and bring somebody in because they already have a pre-existing um, relationship with the subject matter, or, you know. So there's a huge array of, of why and why not, you know. Um, ultimately, it's always about what we feel works best for the story. Do we get it right all the time? Of course we don't, you know, but... Um, and sometimes something that we thought, for instance, a narrator that we thought would be brilliant, got the narrator. We thought it worked well. Audience didn't, you know, and they'll tell you like. Where did they tell you? They tell you on social media. Um, you'll hear it from your parents, from your friends. You know, uh, those closest to you are, are the most unforgiving, which is great because that's what you, you know, you don't need politeness in that respect anyway. Get many of your your family and friends pitching you story ideas. Very few, the, really? yeah. Uh, the majority of my peers hardly listen to radio, yeah. let alone I would never talk about work to my friends, like ever, almost. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think it's the same for most of us. Whereas, but you still appreciate the the feedback you get because it's a different type of feedback. You know, obviously they haven't been involved in the process, so they might know the complications and the. You know, a lot of what we do, like, can be problem solving. You're, you're constantly, okay, that didn't happen. What do we do now? Or we, he didn't turn up or, you know, it's all problem after problem. Um, good problems, obviously, you know, we're talking yeah, first world problems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so it's just about, yeah, feedback is critical to everything we do, you know. And then what, what metrics do you look up in terms of just assessing whether uh, an episode, uh, or the show as a whole has been successful? What metrics do you look at? Well, ultimately for us, it's about listening. We want people to engage, to actually listen. So the number one thing for us is our podcast stats. Um, our webpage stats will give a, obviously they'll give an indication of a level of interest. 
So if you have 20,000 visits to a specific documentary webpage this week, and last week there was only 5,000, well, you can clearly see that there's a lot more interest in that subject matter. But sometimes, and the same for SoundCloud, social media can be very strange because sometimes, you know, certainly with Twitter, it's a bubble. Um, and there are certain people on it and there are certain people not on it. And if a subject matter is agenda-driven or contentious or whatever it is, you can see a huge spike in uh, social media um, conversations, but you, you don't see any correlation with that in the actual engagement of podcasts, more podcasts downloaded or whatever it is. I mean, for instance, over Christmas, because we were in repeat mode, we were kind of, we picked out a number of docs. I think we had like... Um, you know, maybe a hundred social media comments over the last two weeks. Um, and yet I noticed we were, you know, number four or five in the iTunes store all Christmas and our own in-house stats show us, you know, we were getting very good traffic. Um, and so there's no, you know, the outer voice, the public social media voice, whilst it's nice to get critique and everybody loves praise and a pat in the back, so to speak. Um, Actually, that's it's it's not that it doesn't matter to it. It does, of course, because it can bring in more listeners. But ultimately, what we worry about our our place, our most interest level of interest in, is our podcast download stats. Then, I mean, obviously, that is still behind our FM listenership. Our FM listenership is still our number one by a long, long shot. You know? Oh God, yeah. These are people who tune in specifically to listen, or just have the radio on, or whatever. You know? I mean, we broadcast mostly at one well always now at one and two p.m. on a Saturday um, I mean in a perfect world we'd be broadcasting at the same time every week all year round um, we'd have double the team double the budget you know we, like we have to live in the real world so um, but nevertheless we would the, the slots we, we broadcast in attract about 200,000 to 240,000 listeners in Ireland on a Saturday uh, we get about the same amount in Canada on a Sunday morning. We get about 25,000, I think it is, in a Sunday evening. And if a doc did well online, it could get forty to 50,000 downloads within a week or two. Um, and so you could be looking at 600,000, 700,000 FM listens um, for something that you might have made essentially at home, you know, for the most part, on your own with the help of the team, you know, so... I mean, we're always kind of looking for the smaller stories that people overlook or forget or the ordinary within the extraordinary. The, I mean, we've no set criteria of, of rules, but ultimately it's what we feel will engage people because we want to choose stories that people want to listen to, you know? What, what stories kind of stand out to you, you know, when you talk about those kind of micro uh, uh, kind of the microcosms of uh, Irish society. Which ones kind of stand out to you? They give me a huge variety. You know, um, like if I look at recent ones, for instance, we had um, we had a documentary a couple of weeks ago about a guy from Mayo who uh, fought in Vietnam, um, and so that's you could say a very small story in some respects. It's also a story that's nearly fifty years old, um, and yet it got a large reaction um 
the we had one there earlier in the year that Joe Carney and myself made and uh, a hangman uh, was reputed to be Ireland's first and only hangman not reputedly he was um, and that was a story that kind of you know there was only a couple of lines in it really in a book at one stage and you're thinking wow imagine if we could find him or whatever look for him um, yeah and so it's it's those kind of things you know um, lots of research, lots of research, um, and collecting up stories and piecing things together. And in that case, it was absolutely as obvious as anything that, that um, it, it, we went back to an address that he'd given as a home address at some stage that nobody had ever checked out, um, which seems like a very ordinary thing to do. And from there, we went to the local pub, and they pointed us to neighbours, uh, who then pointed us to relatives, and then we we found the guy. That's it, yeah. So you're just pulling on the thread and seeing yeah. what happens. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, very good. And like I was reading your own uh, bio on uh, RTE, and uh, you studied music initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, t- could you tell me just the story of how you ended up in radio? So I did a music degree in uh, WIT, Waterford, and then I did a Master's in Music Technology in Limerick. And um, I used to, you know, do labouring jobs during the summers and all that kind of stuff. And I suppose like most 20, whatever it was, two-year-olds, I wasn't quite sure where I was going next after the Master's. And my dad was kind of eager to get me off the books, I suppose. So he was sending in CVs for me or, you know, looking out. And he spotted an ad for a production coordinator in Lyric FM at the time, which was only a year old. And he contacted my then girlfriend, now wife, and she sent in a CV. And yeah, I went for the interview and I didn't get the job that was an offer, but I was on a panel. And then I got the next position that was filled in. And um, yeah, and then I worked there for three years. It was an amazing place to learn about radio. Um and then I went for a producer job on Radio 1, got that, and then went uh produced Vincent tonight with Vincent Brown for the first year, and then kind of moved into arts and features, did yeah, a variety of things, and back over to daytime, did sports and some current affairs, and eventually got into docs, and I've kind of been there really ever since. And uh, when did you kind of discover radio documentaries as a kind of a, as a medium? Pretty much around the time I started working in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would have had limited they, interest. Yeah. Place. And I mean, even, even today, like, you know, I guess less so now, but certainly in the last few years, um, you know, when you'd say radio and documentary, you put those two words together, lots of people would be kind of agape or aghast of what they, you do that in the radio kind of thing. Um, and then on the flip side, Every, nowadays, like nearly everybody wants to say what they're doing is a radio documentary. It's kind of cool or sexy or it's in vogue and podcast world and, you know. Um, so, I mean, it's immaterial really what anybody calls themselves or what their product, but, um, you know, a documentary should be a full entity, uh, in my view, anyway. So, yeah. And, uh, I remember, a couple of years ago when uh, you know when Serial came out and my friends who uh, uh, I've never talked to them about my interest in radio and stuff like that they, co- they would say to me oh have you heard of this show Serial and uh, I was like 
where'd you hear about that? Mm. <laughs> I didn't think anyone had known about it. Just wonder, like, what was that like for you when you found people, uh, these types of stories, having more of a mainstream interest in that particular period of time? Yeah, I mean, like, we would, you know, I was saying earlier, we we would meet with colleagues in around Europe and American stuff, and the Time Serial came out, like, there was a sense that, oh, this is the you know, p- podcasts are really taking off. and But, like, actually, when, when you know, six months after it, we'll say, when I was meeting with colleagues from Scandinavia or Europe or Germany or Australia or America, you'd be saying, have you seen a podcast increase? And actually, when everyone went looking, there wasn't for their thing. So, Serial, I mean, America's so big. Um, and as I said, that whole social media world is so... Well, Twitter certainly is so small, yet influential in many respects. Um, yeah, so, I mean, look, it's great. I mean, American radio is great. A serial was great for for the genre. It's like, and now there's a lot of kind of serial imitations going on. and um, But it's not everybody's type of radio either, you know what I mean? Because it's very personality-driven. It's very... Um, I mean, it's as if the story almost takes second place to this kind of sense of I'm going to tell you how important this is and I'm going to take you there. And, and that's good for a while, but, you know, it was a new thing. It was a fresh thing. Again, a very simple thing, a 10-part documentary, essentially, but in 10 parts. Um, so, yeah, horses for courses, you know. And uh, could you recommend, like, outside of, say, American, the, the typical uh, uh, names that you expect, maybe, could you give me a couple of recommendations on s- some radio makers to check out or some particular shows to check out? Yeah, I mean, there's... Uh, the irony of, of working in radio full-time is that I don't really listen to it that much myself, you know, because, obviously, you, you keep abreast of what's going on in life and the world or whatever, but... Um, yeah, you, I listen to so much stuff, but in terms of, of recommendations, um, there's a great podcast in Denmark called The Third Ear. Um, a number of years ago, the, the Danish broadcasting actually got rid of the radio documentary unit, and this was, uh, as a result, it was an independent setup. Um, and they do some really engaging stuff, um, really well told, really well crafted. Um, it's available online and some of it, some of them, obviously they're all in Danish, but some of them are transcribed so you can follow, um, uh, transcription of them. Um, and then over in Australia, there's some good stuff happening. Um, you've, yeah, it's, it's all ABC stuff. There's a, they've changed the brands quite a lot lately. It used to be 360 documentaries. Now it's, um, open ear. I can't even remember to be honest with you, but, um, like a lot of the stuff, if I was going looking for, say I was going on a long journey and I wanted to 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 f- listen to something new or fresh, I generally go to the big international competitions, look up who the winners were, like Third Coast in America, um, yeah, any variety, like pre-Europas or pre-Italias or Sony Awards, I know they're gone now, or, you know, PPIs, anything like that. And find that product. It doesn't matter where it is, local radio or national or international. Um, yeah. And so I'm looking for one-off stories, really, you know? Yeah, that's a, that's a great recommendation, actually, because even like, coming down to Cork this morning, I was like, uh, like uh, scrolling through what, what will I do, what will I have in the car for the, the two-hour journey down. So, uh, uh, But actually, I never thought about going to check out the winners or nominees of any of those mm. awards. That's a great idea. 
Um, I just have a couple of uh, kind of uh, kind of quick fire questions, but your your answers don't need to be quick fire. Okay. Um, what's some of the what's, what's some bad advice that you hear been thrown around your industry a lot? Um. Bad advice, I suppose. I mean, I guess one of the things I'd be cautious about is people can get um, either overawed by technical equipment or think they need to have really good stuff. Um, And actually, if they had basic enough stuff but knew how to use it, they'd be way better off. Um, So that'd be one of the things that you need really top-notch gear or it's all about how you, how you use it and what you use it. I mean, the majority of American radio, for instance, sounds, to my ear, very cheap. You know, it's, it's tinny, thin sound. Um, it can be badly edited at times. I'm not trying to diss American radio now, but I'm just saying, and yet it can be really engaging. So it's not, you know, what I would say to people if you're starting out or stuff like that is just get what you can afford and start doing it. So, so what, what gear do you recommend then? <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what we use is we always use closed cup headphones is the first thing. So you close out the world. Even when you're in the field or is it just yeah, when you're at it? Always, okay. always. So um, that's headphones is like because in, in your ear, in a headphone, is, is then what the listener hears. So headphones is the first thing. Good pair of headphones, closed cup. You can get a pair of Sennheiser, say, for 60, 70 quid. Um, that'll be the first thing. A good stereo microphone, ideally, if you're out in the field, because you want to hear that car passing from left to right. It's all, you know, you want to create pictures. So stereo microphone. Um, then you want a good balanced lead like this one that you have um, so that you don't get interference. Um, if you could get any kind of a windshield so you're not worried about moving from outside to inside and all that kind of stuff. And then just a good um, hard disk recorder. I mean, pretty much all recorders nowadays are the same, give or take. Um, And people get hung up on file formats. I know it's a bit techy, but like a .wav or AIFF or MP3s, I've yet to meet a human being who can decipher between a .wav and an MP3 or... And yet people get... They can all be converted to to anything yeah. you know what I mean so and just on the microphones because I, I was recommended before someone said to me to get a, a boom mic is that what you mean by a stereo uh, mic or? no a boom mic is one that you can you know push out and you can push it uh, the shotgun mic I mean. yeah, yeah like there's any amount of microphones have different patterns so um, it varies like for, for normal speech we would have a, a microphone say something like this ours or pearl and they have a cardioid pattern, which is the shape of a heart. And so, but we would only have one microphone. We would never, ever, ever leave our guests handle a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? What's your thinking behind that? Because they'd make a banjax of it, like. <laughs> There'd be lots of noise and lots of interference and, you know. Um, so you always control the sound. That's part of your job as a radio producer, like. Um, it's good feedback. <laughs> and so, yeah, I forgot the question now question was what what was the bad advice and then i asked you what equipment <laughs> did you use yeah so, so i kind of it's kind of covered um and then outside of uh, uh radio would you have any kind of favorite uh, documentaries or movies or 
Um, yeah, I mean, I've young children at the moment, so I'm not seeing a whole pile of television. But like over Christmas, I watched the new Pope. Thought it was really engaging with Jude Law. Um, I'd always uh, watch Storyville and BBC Four, the the collection of documentaries from around the world. Um, and so you can get weird and wonderful zany stuff. It's on occasionally. Um, yeah, and beyond that, again, I, I always look to like Pre Europa is a great place to you know you get. Pre Europa is is the the leading uh, competition for for media in Europe, and so. Each country puts forward what they consider to be their best entry. And in there, you have a TV fiction and a TV documentary category. Um, and so German TV or French TV or Irish or BBC or whatever, you know, the broadcasters, BBC and so on and so forth, will put forward what they consider their best entry into comps. So you'll, get, you'll find great stuff there, especially European stuff that I wouldn't have come across um, myself before, do you know what I mean? So, like this year's winner was the Icelandic um, series. Oh, which name escapes me now? It was on Channel Four or BBC Four initially, and RT actually ran it afterwards. Yeah, I, I'm blanking on the name as well. Yeah, it, yeah, but brilliant, like fantastic acting, cinematography, everything. Yeah, an amazing storyline. It's, it's so obvious that tip that just going to. Go to the winners because uh, I always get frustrated when you, know, you have 200 channels, but there's nothing on. There's nothing, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, big time. And I mean, I would tend to in TV, I watch very little live television now. Um, one partially because of time and partially because there's so much crap on, really, you know. Um, and so I series link and you know, I, I guess I'm a destination television watcher. If I sit down in the evening, I know what I'm going to watch really before I sit down you know um, yeah and uh, what advice would you give uh, your 20 year old self the fella who's relying on the dad and the girlfriend to send out CVs to get into radio uh, no just in general what advice would you give your 20 year old self <laughs> just keep doing what I was doing I guess uh, yeah just yeah take a chance I mean I suppose I was putting myself in a position where a job like this could open up if you're asking me about my professional life like but without even knowing it I guess at the time you know um, yeah but I mean in terms of you know wanting to make radio documentaries or TV documentaries or anything in the creative arts it's just about a natural curiosity it's about sharing like one that's another key mistake you see in people that they, they have an idea and that they really guard it and that they don't tell anybody and that they don't share it with anybody. I mean, obviously, you're not, you're not a broadcaster around the world. You've got this brilliant idea and you're going to make a documentary on it. But you have to share it with a couple of people to get feedback to see do they, does it engage them. You know? So sharing of ideas is really important in a kind of a safe network um, because what you think might be amazing... Um, isn't and and then if it hits like in our case it hits five or six hundred thousand listeners you'd be told fairly quickly how bad it is if it's bad you know and uh, when you hear the word successful who's the first person that comes to mind <laughs> Rocky <laughs> <laughs> the champ the champ uh, cool well, look sure that's it for me <laughs> Uh, where can people find out more about you or Documentary One? Well, there's much more to find out about me. It's it's Documentary One. They go to the website, rt.e forward slash Um 
our, we have a documentary in one store on iTunes and our iPhone apps and Android apps, iPad apps. Yeah, and just tune into Radio 1, you know, Saturdays 1 and 2 p.m. Cool, Liam. Thanks a million. You're very welcome. Thanks a million, Connor. All the best.